The podcast where two babes blab about biology and compete to outweird each other with the most outlandish bio facts. We're your hosts, Ludi and Kelsey. And today, I can barely contain my excitement. It's unbearable. That's right. We're talking about bears. And while we do love hairy gay men, today is not their day. To answer our usual question of what is a bear, we've brought a guest from the other side of the table. It's our Alaskan producer. She has a name. Liv, is it? <laughs> it's Liv, right? So what qualifies you to talk about bears? What qualifies you to talk about anything on this podcast? Fair point, but it still hurts. <laughs> to start this off, I propose we start a game called Is It A Bear? <laughs> you guys will stand and look, I'll tell you if it's a bear or not. Uh, koala. No. Moose. No. Uh, llama. No, not even close. Hippopotamus. No, no, not a hippopotamus. What, well, then what's a bear if not a hippopotamus? We're fucking trying over here. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> Bears are a member of the family Ursidae, from the Latin Ursus, for, you guessed it, bear. <laughs> so giant panda, that's a bear. Red panda, different family, its own family, not a bear. Speaking of not bears, did you know that the words Arctic and Antarctic come from the Greek Arctos for bear? So the Arctic is bear land and the Antarctic is not bear land? Not quite. It actually has to do with Polaris, the North Star, being part of the constellation Ursa Minor, which is the great she-bear. And there just so happens to be bears in bear land and no bears in not bear land. Exactly. So if you were Latin, hanging out, doing your thing and back in the day, um, you would just see a bear and you'd be like, Ursus, huh? Got mauled by an Ursus. <laughs> that's what they, that's just the common name of bears was Ursus back in ancient Latin times. Do I look like a gladiator to you? Hey, you're the hey. one learning Greek. Yeah. <laughs> that's close enough. You're basically a uh, Russell Crowe. I don't know what that Is that means. who that is in that movie? I gotta make sure that's right. Who's the guy? I mean, I know who Russell Crowe is. I don't. He. Oh, it's a good movie. Bought a blockbuster in Alaska. Yeah. Sorry, Russell Crowe. Is it the only one that still exists in Wasilla? Yeah. Um, You were the only person who was alive when this film came out. Oh my god, fucking hell. (laughs) That's the. That's. Not you were even... the you were the only person in this room who was alive. Yeah, you were the only film. person <laughs> alive. I was Russell alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Russell Crowe were hanging out. There are eight species of bears, six of which are considered threatened or vulnerable, which is really sad. Modern bears can be as small as four feet long and sixty pounds, which is the size of a medium large dog. To 8 feet long and 1,600 pounds, which is much larger than a dog. (laughs) Dog for scale. Yeah. (laughs) Americans will use anything but the metric system, am I right? (laughs) They have large bodies with generally stocky legs, long snouts, and small ears. 
They have large, wide paws with five non-retractable claws, which are very good for digging, and an excellent sense of smell. And they're almost always solitary. Many may be surprised to learn that they are omnivores, which means they eat both plants and animals, and they can live on average up to 25 years in the wild. In fact, there's a bear at Katmai National Park. Think uh, waterfall that salmon jump up that bear catches out of midair. I've seen that on Instagram. Fat Bear Week! <laughs> Fat Bear Week. Um, his name's Otis, and he's believed to be between 25 and 27 years old. Hey, you could be the same age as Otis. Yeah. I was about to say I fucking hate that I'm the same age as this old-ass bear. <laughs> Check out how elderly and decrepit this bear is, Kelsey. It was Russell Crowe in the bear. <laughs> that bear could have seen the movie Gladiator, and he would have understood my reference. With all that sorted out, I want to hear about some bears. As always, we don't know what the other person is going to tell us about. So we'll be reacting live. Onward! <laughs> As a side note, we have an Instagram now. You guys should all go follow it, at Biobugs Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, make memes during classes instead of listening and taking notes. I'm a second semester senior. I don't know what else you expected. <laughs> we, we also let you know when new episodes drop, which is the more important part. Nah, follow it for the memes. <laughs> Kelsey, Liv, tell me, who's the most famous bear you can think of? Uh, Smokey. Any other famous bears? <laughs> what uh, you got? Yogi. Also good. Uh, the bear from Bear Necessities. I don't know what his oh, name is. Blue. <laughs> I haven't watched it. I am Bears being bears. Oh my god. The corduroy bear? Mm. Also good. Style Uh, icon. Yeah. Absolutely. All of these are good suggestions, but I am about to argue for a bear I think should be the most famous bear. Or, more likely, the most infamous bear. Oh, I'm so ready. (laughs) Though this bear does live in Washington, the so-called Rainier Bear was not named for the mountain, but rather for a very specific vice. He's like the cocaine bear, but instead of going on a rampage, he pounds a 12-pack and tells you about his glory days as the apex predator before passing out in your trash can. Oh, no. Oh, my God. You told me about this. (laughs) Really the stepdad of bears. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In August 2004, campers at Baker Lake Resort woke up to a sorry sight. Their cooler was broken into, their beer cans were empty and scattered about their campsite, and there was a black bear passed out in a tree nearby. Hell yeah. Oh my god, it's the Zack of Bears. <laughs> Zach's gonna love that bit. <laughs> Stop. He will, Based on the surrounding evidence, the bear broke into the cooler and used his teeth and claws to poke holes in the cans. He pounded 36 Rainier beers before being chased off. He shotgunned 36 beers? <laughs> he shotgunned 36 beers before being chased off by a trooper. He climbed a tree and passed the fuck out. And the trooper didn't wake up the people that the beers belonged to? Wasn't concerned. Oh my god. Nah, the bear's drunk. <laughs> Eventually, fish and wildlife officers were able to herd the bear away from the campground, but it came back the next day in search of booze. Same. <laughs> bear on a bender. <laughs> Why not call him the beer bear then? Because this bear has taste. He apparently tried the bush light and wasn't a fan. All but one of those cans were left alone. 
That's, yeah. So, 36 Rainiers, one bush, didn't like it. He could taste the difference in the alcohol percentage, and he was like, I don't have time for this weak shit. Rainier, on the other hand, two open cans were enough to lure the bear into a humane trap so he could be relocated. I love that they used beer to trap the bear. They did. <laughs> also, I think Rainier is the beer that Longmire drinks in the TV show. Where what? <laughs> When was that one made? <laughs> Y'all are just gonna have to go back in time and watch all the shit that I reference so that it's funny instead of me having to reference things that you will understand. <laughs> I think it's a cowboy show. Longmire? Yeah. Oh yeah, I know that show. We I haven't it. seen it. Oh, my grandparents love it. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> that was the meanest thing you could have said. <laughs> Zach is also a grandpa. (laughs) Local press ran stories with headlines like Black Bear develops taste for local brew and Bear pounds 36 cans of beer, ignores the bush. (laughs) Rainier the brand thought this was so funny, they ran a commercial based on the story featuring some Scandinavian tourists and a guy in a bear suit that looks like it also got some use in adult films. I want to see these adult films. (laughs) I was going to recommend the commercial. I was going to say I want to see the bear shoot, but okay. (laughs) All this to say, this bear is my hero. Shout out to our friend Zach for introducing me to the Rainier bear. Next time you drink a case of Rainier's, pour it out for this incredible homie. (laughs) Did he get released? Is he okay? Yeah, they just just relocated him away from like a campground. They should have relocated him to the Midwest where there's no Rainier. Only bush. (laughs) Only. He would have been so sad. He would have have, like gone over his addiction. He would have been, he would have died of depression. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to switch to cocaine. Maybe send him to the South. No, then he switches to meth if you send him to the South. Yeah. The meth squirrels. Have you guys heard of that? Yes. The meth squirrels. Yeah. Everybody come to the South. It's a great place. With the whole Second Amendment thing, we have the right to bear arms, right? Well, maybe, not to get too political, but we maybe have too much freedom to bear arms. Like, it should maybe be a little bit more difficult to bear arms. It's actually more difficult to own a literal bear in this country than it is to own a gun, which is an interesting thought. Sorry, I'm getting off track. What about a bear's right to bear arms? Can a bear own a gun? Can I own bear arms? I just think the language is confusing and we should exploit it by giving bears guns and daring the government to try to take them from their big bear arms. You've heard that dumb good guy with a gun argument. Well, let me introduce you to good bear with a gun. You may have thought I was seizing out just now, but no, that is the intro to this story. Bears with guns. Bears Bears with with guns. guns. Bears with guns. It's 1942. A group of Polish soldiers were released from a Siberian military prison. On their yeah, yay, great, good, good times. Now they get to wander through fucking Iran. They <laughs> they go to Iran. Okay, I'll trust you. <laughs> I'm not basing this off. I don't have any knowledge of geography. I know. Who does? (laughs) You do. You did the sign, so you must have a fairly intimate... I mean, yes, I know where Siberia is, I know where (laughs) Iran is, and I know where Poland is. She's one step ahead of us. Actually, three, because she knew where all three of them were. I don't know where Russia ends and Siberia begins. Siberia is part of Russia. Yeah, but where? It's just the Asian Asian half. Wait, you're telling me Siberia is in its own country? Yes. Oh my fucking god. (laughs) All right. Geography lesson. 
Most of the people live in the European half of Russia. That's where most of the cities are. The Asian half of Russia is Siberia. How did I have absolutely no idea that Russia and Siberia are the same country? Have you ever seen Siberia compete in the Winter Olympics? I don't necessarily pay attention to the countries in the Winter Olympics. You're telling me you guys don't think that the walk of the countries is the best part of the Olympics? No. No, It is fun. That's my favorite part of the Olympics. Actual sports is the best part. I've got a lot to say about this World War II bear. In 1942, a group of Polish soldiers were released from a Siberian military prison. On their way back to the war, I guess, they came across a little boy at a railway station in Iran with a tiny bear cub in his bag. The cub had been orphaned when his mother was killed by poachers, and the boy had found it, starving and alone. So the soldiers were immediately like, you know what? 1942 is a shitty year pretty much globally, but a bear cub would really make our day so much less depressing. Let's adopt this bear together. And you know, sometimes Did they adopt it the from the bear from the kid? Did they adopt the kid? I'm going to get to that. Okay. Sorry. 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 <laughs> they did not steal this bear from this poor child. Okay. They were okay. like, we love this bear. Child, you could die in a ditch. Yes. Yeah. I assume he had a family. He had somewhere to go. So he the was... bear was orphaned, but the child wasn't. <laughs> I think that this child was using these bears to run a grift at the railway station. Hey, sometimes a family is nuclear. And sometimes a family is a bunch of soldiers and a baby bear cub. And not the child that found the bear. No, that child can go away. So they bought this bear from the boy with either money or a random assortment of snacks, depending on the source. Either way, the child was paid fairly for the bear. How many snacks <laughs> equals a bear? Depends on how hungry the boy is. <laughs> how there can is I get my hands down. on enough snacks to buy a bear? <laughs> I'm sure inflation has made it to where it's a lot more snacks than it was in 42. I can get you a bear. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, if push came to shove, we could get a bear. Okay, yeah. Like, (laughs) could I get a bear with push came to shove? The few of us in this room have the skill set to get a bear. Yeah, I do have experience with bear lure. Yeah. That's when life really takes a turn for our friend Bear. The cub was taken in by the 22nd Artillery Supply Company, and they named the bear Wojtek, which means happy warrior. Adorable. That's so cute. It's like the diminutive nickname version of a longer Polish name meaning happy warrior. So they fed him condensed milk from a vodka bottle till he was old enough for solid food. At which point they started giving him beer, and apparently he loved cigarettes, which he did not smoke, but instead ate them whole, which is also why oh. I got put in foster care. <laughs> <laughs> Question. So when you Don't disappear when we get drunk together to go smoke cigarettes, I'm just <laughs> are you actually eating them? I'm eating lit cigarettes. Hold on, they're lit? (laughs) They are if you're not a pussy. Why is it spicy? (laughs) The soldiers had a grand old time with Wojciech. He would wrestle with them, sleep next to them at night to keep them warm, and they even taught him to salute on cue. Those are all things I could learn, eventually. (laughs) 
You were at also... least as trainable as a bear. Yeah. You could also learn to eat lit cigarettes. I could. <laughs> you, you might even learn to like it. <laughs> when the Polish Second Corps were assigned to fight the Italian campaign, the British transport ship didn't allow animals, so Wojtek was drafted into the Polish military as a private so that they could get him onto the ship. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> it says they don't accept animals, but if the animal has, has a, is ranked, then it's acceptable. They put him on paper as a human being and then put him in a box and snuck him on the ship. And nobody asked any questions. They were like, what is this massive growling box? And they, they were, were like, like, don't worry, it's just a private. It's, it's private Wojciech, don't worry. He's sleeping something off from last night. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> mainly, mainly lit cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is great because as an enlisted soldier, Wojciech got his own salary and everything. So he could pay for his own, like, upkeep. And so the company was allowed to keep him. And so... Aside from being a mascot and a morale boost for the soldiers, he even fought in some battles. In the Battle of Monte Cassino, I think is how you say it, he was actually a huge help because he could carry these massive 100-pound crates of ammunition back and forth to the trucks. And the crates would usually take four men to carry, um, but he could, he could tote the crates back and forth and he kept a lot of people out of danger. Tell me they gave this bear a medal. Oh, they did. After the battle, he was promoted to the rank of corporal. Oh, incredible. <laughs> and the 22nd's company's emblem was changed to that of a bear carrying an artillery shell. After the war, Corporal Wojtek settled down on a farm in Scotland with many of his fellow company members. As he did everywhere he went, he became a local celebrity. 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 <laughs> Anyways. He became an honorary member of the Polish-Scottish Association. I don't really know what that is, but cool for him. He enjoyed a few years of drinking beer at the pub and appearing in children's birthday parties until 1947, when I guess people in Scotland realized that maybe they were playing with fire by keeping a thousand-pound bear in their backyard. So he was sent to the Edinburgh Zoo, where he lived for the rest of his life. He died in 1963 at the age of 21. There are multiple statues of Wojtek in Poland and a couple in Scotland. Blazed right on past <laughs> children's birthday parties. Yeah, yeah. They they let this this um, military uh, I would say, bear. It's just... one thing to have a bear at a party. It's another thing to have a bear who's fought in a world war and like participates in vice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's also Scotland. That's, That's fair. fair. <laughs> As a little intermission, Liv, you worked at Katmai, where the fat bears are. Can you tell us about the fat bears? I sure can. Katmai National Park was originally created for the Valley of 10,000 Spokes. If you don't know about that, look it up. This isn't what this podcast is about. (laughs) (laughs) But part of that is that it is part of the Bristol Bay watershed. And Bristol Bay is one of the, it is the largest salmon fishery, wild salmon fishery in the world. And so there's a huge amount of fish that go through there. And what do fish bring? Well, they bring bears. Really, really (laughs) fat bears. Thick, thick bears. Thick bears. So 
when you think of Katmai National Park, um, most people think of the main camp, which is called Brooks Camp, which is located on Brooks Falls, near Brooks Falls, on the Brooks River between Knack Lake and Brooks Lake. And so when you think of the Brooks River, you think nature documentary of the bears that are like standing on top of the four foot waterfall and the salmon are jumping up them and the bears are dramatically catching them or dramatically getting hit in the face whichever (laughs) ends up happening at time of recording usually a combination thereof this is all a scene in brother bear yeah basically (laughs) there's some pretty fun things that happen at brooks camp um kelsey you'll enjoy this one oh so the bears as uh most things are they're what they're doing is looking for easy nutrients a lot of times because bears are fairly opportunistic that can come to scavenging and whatnot in this particular case there's been multiple instances of the bears breaking into the latrine pits oh no and they eat human shit what (laughs) why are they what eat shit bears well eat shit bears but, it's, like, uh, only because you need the calories for the winter bears. Yeah, yeah. It's not eat shit and die. It's <laughs> yeah. eat shit and live. <laughs> eat shit and live through the winter. It's hard eat out shit, there. Eat shit and pass the fuck out for four months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they, they do that um, because it's already digested. Um, but there's still Save nutrients left in it. So it's a lot, like, it's way easier for them to digest it because it already is digested. What there's already is... nutrients. It's fairly easily available. Yeah, it's really easy to available. You just have to break into a porta potty. It's like a bear protein shake. <laughs> a, a shit is a turd. What kind of protein <laughs> shakes are you making? The good kind. <laughs> Speaking of eating, bears tend to have three different common fishing styles. There, fly fishing. Angling and noodling. Exactly. <laughs> Where's the one where they just get bitch slapped by a fish? <laughs> that one all, that one's my preferred method. They do what's called snorkeling, which is where they're sort of like standing in the water and they just have their face like part way in, like up to their eyes, and they just watch and then they, you know, <laughs> they get, get them fish, get them fish. Yeah. The next is called diving, and snorkeling and diving happen down on the the main river, um, where it's not the waterfall, um, because there's more to the river than just the waterfall. Um, that happens on the main That's river. That's life, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> isn't that a wonderful thought? There's there's more to the river than just the waterfall. You heard it here first, guys. Yeah, yeah. Anywho, they've got these few different uh, fishing styles, snorkeling, where they stick most of their face in the water, and they just sort of wait around for a fish to get close, and they snap it out of the water. They've got diving, where, as it sounds, they just full body down into the water to, to try to ar, 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 out Wee. the fish. Yeah. Um, they catch them out of midair, as we've seen, well, most people have seen with the, with the nature documentaries. And there's the last one, which is eating the scraps. Um, that's usually reserved for the sub-adults. But there's usually lots of scraps. And that is because there are some bears that are very picky. For example, there's a bear. If I remember right, it's the bear called Lefty. Um, And he eats only the roe of female salmon. What's a roe? Salmon eggs. Oh. (laughs) So Lefty 
will catch a salmon. He's usually one of the ones on top of the falls. That's where the dominant bears tend to chill out. The dominant ones are on top. And he will catch a salmon. He will take a good sniff to see if it's a male or a female. They can tell that by sniffing? Oh, I they don't sure like got that. Some, they sure got some, some good sense. Um, if he thinks it's a female, he'll rip it open. And if it's got eggs, then he'll eat them. If he's it doesn't, like, he literally just lets it go. He lets you float down the river. He's down like, to no. the little show adults way down there to I don't, scraps. I don't eat you, you're a male. And also, you're going to have cancer in 10 years. Usually, <laughs> the male fish that he catches don't recover from being <laughs> caught by him. I certainly wouldn't. Um, and so, they're also free game for the young uns. All this to say that the calories are in high enough availability there that they are able to be that picky. Imagine getting caught by a bear and it just forcibly removes your eggs. Ah, my eggs. <laughs> I don't want them. You can, you can fucking have them. I'm trying to get somebody to take my eggs at this point. Bears at Katmai during the high season, they can eat up to 40 salmon a day. That's the equivalent of over 100 pounds, which is over 100,000 calories. Whoa! He's bulking. (laughs) So, Katmai National Park has had very few bear-human problems, considering it's an island absolutely riddled with bears. Not an island, but yeah, it's an area with the (laughs) highest bear density in the world. Like, okay. the highest brown bear density in the world. You're just yeah. stepping on bears as you yeah, just, walk around. You're Basically. bumping into them. Basically. You gotta elbow your way through furry butts to it's go like the get a good It's like the mall on Black Friday. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, just pretty much. elbowing through bears. So, yeah, they've had very few negative bear-human interactions due to these safety measures that they take. In that, in Brooks Camp, you're not allowed to have not-contained food within a mile and a half of the camp. So what they do is they, they've got a, a lodge where the rich visitors stay. Maybe that's rude. They've got a lodge where the more wealthy people, the people who can afford to pay um, way, way more money, because camping's like $13 a night, whereas staying in the large lodge is like $1,300 a night. Oh, shit. No, you can call yeah, them rich. Okay, that's, great. That's a fair um, assessment. Eat the rich. Or the bears can bears eat the can. rich. Let uh, wait, the bears no, they eat die. The, the bears um, would get killed. No, no, no. But if the bears eat the rich people, we should give them a pass. You know what? I like your thinking. I don't think the Fish and Wildlife Service would agree. So they in the campsites, they've got two separate sheds. One of them is for food specifically. The other is for gear so that the gear and the food doesn't cross-contaminate smells. Hmm. And the campground is surrounded by five wires of electric fence. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so like a baby bear, could, like, a, like a little cub, could get through. Y'all so, ever grabbed an electric fence? I have. With a group of other people. Just you did it on purpose? Oh, yeah. That's Was this at Katmai? Yeah. <laughs> you grabbed a bear fence on yeah. purpose? Of course she did. Is that even there a question? There was like ten of us. <laughs> Kelsey, have you grabbed an electric fence on purpose? Not on purpose. I've okay. also grabbed them not on purpose. I, feel like I grabbed an electric fence with, like, both hands to prove it wasn't an electric fence and got the <laughs> shit zapped out of me. 
Okay, I feel like rather than this on purpose is a male thing that I just heard. They do. Well, I don't it know. Is. It's one of those dumb strength things, but what you described all at the same time mm-hmm. sounds like a really good bonding exercise. Yeah, yeah. Um, you all get to feel a bit of a zap. But it's not as much as if you grabbed it one at a time, so, you know? Anywho. Yeah. So, he's got a five-wired electric fence, along with all food is contained within one shed, all of your gear is contained within another shed. You get in big trouble if you have, like, gear unsupervised anywhere. And you can't have food within that's not, like, in the shed or being actively consumed. Something that will horrify my parents, given that I was there for three weeks. Is that there's no one at Katmai who carries a gun. The bear safety officers carry bear spray, and they are very adept at using it. One of them who was debriefing us on the use of bear spray told us that he and I believe it was his wife are both bear safety officers, and they will have competitions where one of them will just randomly say go, and they have to see who can draw and, and uh, their bear spray the fastest. That's um, the kind of quick draw I'm about. Yeah. That is a power couple. <laughs> yeah. And so they've got quite a few safety measures, but it's not what you would expect for a place with such a high bear density. Yet they've been incredibly successful. Another way that they do this is that bears like to use the trails too. And so when there's a bear on the trail, they keep the humans off the trail. And that means that when a bear comes up onto a trail and he's like, hmm, this is a nice sunny spot. And they lay down for a little nap. All movement on that trail, and there's usually only one to get from one place to another, is shut down for as long as the bear decides to take a nap. Yeah, which is quite unfortunate when you're in a hurry to, to get back to your trail work and get stuck on the wrong side of your trail for an hour. There's a grizzly sleeping between me and lunch. Not a grizzly. Not a grizzly. Not a grizzly. What are they? So, brown bears and grizzly bears are different things. What? (laughs) Blowing Kelsey's mind over here. (laughs) Grizzly bears are perhaps not a subspecies, maybe a smaller subset of brown bears, Ursus arctos, that are distinctly separate. Grizzly bears are the inland cousins, we'll say, of brown bears, in that all grizzly bears are brown bears, but not all brown bears are grizzly bears. Okay, because I've always heard brown bear and grizzly bear interchange, but that's only in when you're referring have. to a grizzly bear. If you're yep. referring to an actual brown bear, you it's have a to brown, say bear, brown bear, not a grizzly bear. Huh, and so they're, that's what you have in Katmai is brown mm-hmm. bears. Because brown bears are the coastal versions, if you will. They rely a lot more on fish and mussels, clams, etc. Whereas inland, grizzly bear eats a lot more berries. Berries. Why do you think they call them berries? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's it for Katmai. This is a question for the southerners in the room. Have you ever been to the Memphis Zoo? Actually, no. It's a sad place. I don't recommend it. But my high school history teacher has a conspiracy theory about the panda bears at the Memphis Zoo. Once upon a time, China engaged in a type of foreign policy known as panda diplomacy. 
Basically, they gifted and later leased giant pandas to zoos in other countries all over the world as a show of good faith. If it was any other bear, I'd call that a threat, but the pandas were generally well-received. In 2003, two pandas named Yaya and Lele were leased to the Memphis Zoo. Now, every time my teacher has visited the Memphis Zoo, the pandas have been in the same spot, and they don't move. Ever. I think he's even compared pictures years apart, and they're laying the exact same way. So here's the conspiracy theory. He believes the Memphis Zoo accidentally killed the pandas, but has stuffed them and continued to display them so as not to anger China. Oh my god. Did we just start an international incident? And you know, that's all well and good, except that the pandas lease is up this year. So sometime in 2023, China will be receiving either the most lethargic pandas ever or the results of a 20-year taxidermy long con. (laughs) The idea of leasing a panda. For 20 years. For 20 years. For 20 years. What's the lifespan of a panda? Pretty long, actually. Really? Yeah. Long enough that 20 years is like, yeah, you can have them for 20. It was 10 and then they got renewed for another 10. But now they are not renewing it. The pandas are going back to China. So they've got a Stuffed panda enclosure. <laughs> they've got to figure out what to put in this enclosure. Well, that's the other thing about the panda diplomacy programs. You could apply to get pandas from China. Can I apply to get a panda from China? <laughs> Only if you build a bougie-ass panda enclosure, even before you're guaranteed to get a panda. So these zoos have to like build the enclosures before they even know if they're getting a panda. That's a lot. Yeah, and so then there's, like, places that don't get pandas, but they have panda enclosures and they gotta put something else in it instead. So there are, like, animals that live in, like, redecorated panda enclosures. <laughs> because of the zoo. Like, and, and these animals know that they were the second choice. <laughs> yeah, you're the... They know that they were not wanted. It's like when you move out and your parents change your childhood bedroom into, like, an office. But that's not what I'm here to tell you about. It's just to get us in the mindset of a zoo panda. I actually want to tell you about panda breeding programs. You started us with panda bear conspiracy theories, and now we're pivoting to panda bear sex? Correct. Good. That checks out. None of you are surprised. No. Not at all. Giant pandas are very endangered. They're threatened by the usual suspects. Habitat destruction, climate change, the works. We've been breeding them in captivity for 70 years, but their birth rates are exceptionally low. Turns out, getting pandas to breed is a pretty tall order. Female pandas are only fertile for 36 hours a year. What? 36 hours a year. I wish that was true for humans. That would simplify things, wouldn't it? This short window means most programs rely heavily on artificial insemination. Scientists have made incredible advances in determining the optimal timing for this. These pandas probably have a better understanding of what's going on with their hormones than I do. Yeah, isn't that just... Womanhood, right? How it be. (laughs) But not every program has given up on making baby pandas the old-fashioned way. When breeding programs first started in the 50s, they were fantastically bad at giving pandas to mate. We didn't understand their behavior or any of the nuances that go into panda sexy times. Nuances such as panda foreplay. Which is... I think one of them, like, peels some bamboo really sensually. I don't know. Do a little bamboo dance. Yeah, a little pole dance, but it's bamboo, and it's a panda, so it's just really, really slow. Somebody come get her! (laughs) And even if the two pandas manage to get it on, 
the whole affair is ridiculous and difficult, largely, or should I say not so largely, because male pandas have one of the smallest penis to body size ratios in the whole animal kingdom. Oh my god. Bless his heart. And I don't mean to size shame, but practically speaking, the female panda has to do a fair amount of work to get that little guy into the right position to actually impregnate her. Pandas need bigger dicks. Size does matter. Size does matter when it comes to pandas, unfortunately. I'm tired of saying this. Pandas need bigger dicks. Given these biological quirks, it's understandable that some pandas in captivity just aren't into it. But not to be deterred by their panda's lack of libido, a Thai zoo in the late 2000s decided to get creative. They started showing their panda pairs movies of other mating pandas, hoping to excite them into doing the act They showed the panda porn? (laughs) Panda porn! Yes, they showed them panda porn. The researchers claimed great success from this method, and a Chinese zoo employed it for 10 months and got a whopping 31 cubs out of it. Oh my god. However, no other zoo has been able to replicate the success. So those were just some exceptionally horny pandas. I I think what we realize here is that in a scientific sense, you can't conclude that all pandas are into panda porn, but there at least was a couple of specific pandas that were very into panda porn. The Wikipedia page for panda pornography would also like readers to know that, quote, other methods, including the use of Viagra to sexually stimulate pandas, have thus far been unsuccessful. They gave them Viagra? You have a tab open that's just Wikipedia panda pornography? I have had the Wikipedia page for panda pornography open on my computer for over a week now. Do the pandas who are participating in this panda pornography have a porn stash? I fucking wish. (laughs) Dude, I just googled panda porn and I got an alert saying, Hey, safe search is off so you may see some nudity. Libby, you're on a watch list. I told you that I had some suspicious Wikipedia articles open, and almost all of them are because of panda porn. (laughs) No one questioned giving Viagra to pandas. If your panda has an erection lasting more than four hours, good for him. (laughs) Get the female panda in right now. This is her her only shot. (laughs) And that's all just to get them to do the deed. Panda pregnancy is also incredibly fraught. Half the time we can't even tell if a panda is actually pregnant or if it's experiencing pseudo-pregnancy, where they exhibit all the same behaviors as a pregnant panda, but with no baby at the end of it. What? There were some extremely slanderous articles recently about this panda at a certain zoo that, like, faked a pregnancy to get more treats or whatever. Straight up panda libel. And everyone who is an actual scientist was like, no, this is a thing. We know it happens. It's called pseudo-pregnancy. Like, because pregnancy is so difficult for pandas, they just, like, if there's a chance they might be pregnant, the body goes into full, like, okay, we're raising a baby mode. Yeah. Which would be terrible for us. But for a zookeeper, like, there's no ultrasound that picks up a baby panda. So they just have to assume that it's pregnant and that it's not. Why? How, How do pandas still exist? That's a great fucking question. This, if anything, is not about panda sex. It's just about the miracle that we still have pandas. Baby pandas are born one nine hundredth the size of their mother, and often as twins, which is usually one baby too many for mama pandas in the wild. Luckily, we now have a 90% survival rate for baby pandas born in captivity. Well, good for us. This is wildly more successful than when these programs first started out. There are now more than 600 pandas living in captivity, which is a promisingly large number for hopefully sustaining wild populations in the future. 
So to tie it back to Panda Diplomacy, I definitely think there's a metaphor in here about like the difficulty of international diplomacy and the finesse required to maintain international relations. That metaphor just happens to come in the form of 200 pound fluffy nightmares that can't fuck to save their lives. Literally. Mood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. But if the pandas can figure it out, maybe so can we. I love that. That's, that's my fact. I love that. It really turned it around. Ready for a hardship from panda porn? I want to talk about Grizzly Man. Grizzly Man? Grizzly Man. So, it's a very famous story. There's even a movie about it, but I haven't seen it. Have any of y'all seen the movie Grizzly Man? It's just called Grizzly Man? It is called Grizzly Man. It was so big in the 2000s. Let me Google it. Hold on. It came out in 2005. It's a very grisly story about a very grisly man. But it takes place in Katmai where there are no grizzlies? Oh, shit. Well, they <laughs> named the movie wrong. They did. Most people get that wrong. I forgot about that. Yeah, I wrote this script before I learned that fact. Anyways, it's a bear, It's a very brown bear story about a very brown bear man. It's a very brown bear story about a very brown bear man? Fuck yourself. <laughs> Timothy Treadwell was born in 1957, but he died in Katmai National Park in 2003 when he and his girlfriend Amy Huguenard were mauled to death by a grizzly bear named the Machine. Oh. Holy shit. Okay, I'm in. I, <laughs> I was checking out. I'm back. Let's do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty gnarly, and unlike a lot of, you know, death via large predator stories, I don't want to say he deserved it, but it definitely wasn't a surprise. Treadwell's Wikipedia page describes him as bear enthusiast, which I think is a pretty good description. He was not a bear expert. He was not a biologist. He was not a wildlife professional in any way. Unlike us, who can't even say wildlife professional because we're too drunk. He wasn't a wildlife professional. He just loved bears and genuinely believed that the bears loved him back, which was his fatal Mm. mistake. He was like a horse girl stereotype, but for bears. Overly romantic. I was about to say, we know this person. (laughs) No, Liv. Liv, you know a lot of like scientific facts about bears. You don't pretend to think that bears are going to be friends with you. You know that they'll eat you if they need to. I mean, if they need to, but also I want them to. We all want to cuddle a bear, but this guy was overly romantic and pretty delusional. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into his backstory or anything, but go down a Treadwell rabbit hole. He had a pretty weird life. Apparently he lost a role in the TV show's Cheers to Woody Harrelson at one point. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. He had a weird life. So we're here for the mauling, though, and what led up to it. Treadwell had been camping in Katmai National Park every summer for 13 years, moving to different parts of the park to follow the bears throughout the season and setting up his tent where he knew bears would have to walk past him so he could increase the amount of bear encounters he had. He considered himself a documentary filmmaker, and there's actually a ton of footage of him online in Katmai ranting about how he's protecting the bears and how the bears don't see him as human and mutual respect and a lot of bullshit. R.I.P., but he was totally insane. He would get way too close, even touching the bears and their cubs. He would habituate them to his presence, 
He refused to use electric fencing to protect the bears from his food and gear. He even stopped carrying bear spray a couple summers before his death because he thought it hurt the bears. Well, it does. That's kind of a point, but though. The point. Not enough to constitute not using bear spray. So, he had repeated run-ins with the Park Service, and here's a quote from a researcher for Alaska Science Center that sums it up more concisely than I can. He was breaking every rule in the park that there was in terms of distance to the bears, harassing wildlife, interfering with natural processes. Right off the bat, his personal mission was at odds with the Park Service. He had been warned repeatedly, it's a tragic thing, but it's not unpredictable. So... For bears, there's a mad rush to stock up on calories in early fall in order to survive the winter hibernation. By October, many of Katmai's bears have already gone into hibernation, and those who haven't are in a desperate hunt for food, trying to pack on a few more last-minute pounds. So in late September of 2003, Treadwell and his girlfriend had actually left the park for the summer, but turned around and went back to the park when Treadwell decided that the airline tickets were too expensive and he wanted to try to see one specific bear again that season. Upon returning to the park, they set up their camp in a place that, Liv, you may know of, called the Grizzly Maze in Katmai. I don't know about that. No? Okay. Well, apparently it's just a a bunch of interconnected grizzly trails, or Hmm. not grizzly trails, brown bear trails, that um, lead to the river or the lake. On October 5th, Timothy and Amy became the first and second bear attacked victims in the history of Katmai National Park. Now, I'm not going to give a play-by-play of the attack, but we know a lot of details because it was actually recorded. Ooh, brutal. Yeah. It's believed that they were about to set up the camera to shoot something when the attack began. So the lens cap was on the camera, but six minutes of audio was recorded. So the original recording has never been released. The one at the end of the Grizzly Man movie is actually a recreation, and so are any others online claiming to be original. But even though they're not real and they're they're recreations, they're still very disturbing. The next day, the Kodiak Air Taxi pilot that was supposed to pick them up to leave found their seemingly abandoned and destroyed campsite. He alerted Park Service, and they found the remains of Treadwell and Amy. You want a list of body parts? Because I got a list of body parts. I do not want a list of body parts. I want a list of body parts. Oh, two to to one. I'm giving you a list of body parts. Oh, no. Treadwell was mostly eaten. They found a disfigured head, a section of spinal cord, and the right forearm and hand with a wrist watch still on. Impressive. Cinematic. Yeah. But great advertisement for Garmin. Yeah, absolutely. Amy was eaten second, um, and so she was not finished, I guess you would say. She was partially buried, and the bear was still guarding the area with the intention of coming back to eat the rest of it. So she was cached. Yeah, she had been cached, which is not something you want to be. But the bear that killed them, called Bear 141, or as Treadwell had named it, The Machine, was put down, of course. Which is ironic, because self-proclaimed grizzly man and protector of bears not only didn't protect any bears, but got one killed. Yeah, so be bear aware. Don't do a bunch of shit you know you ought not to do. 
Don't pretend to be a bear expert when you don't know anything about bear behavior or bear biology or anything. All this talk about bear safety reminds me of some of the shittiest bear safety tips I have received in my lifetime. Pray tell. My family and I once went to Yellowstone when I was like 12, and an employee there told us that we didn't need bear spray because bears don't attack three people. Which is ridiculous. Uh, The actual statistic, I believe, is that bears in Yellowstone have never attacked a group of three or more people. Uh, But that is not to say that you you just don't need bear spray. Because for the rest of the weekend, we were like, okay, so the bear's going to come up to us on the trail and go, one, two, three. Ah, damn it! (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, my mom was concerned because she walks a little bit slower. So she was like, what if the bear thinks that we're two different groups? And then it's it's one person and two people and they're separate. And then at that time, it's... At that point, it's just time to feast. Fair game. Yeah, fair game at that point, because they're two different groups. That's one person and two people, and that's tasty time for bear. Bear spray is also more effective than a gun. Yes. There's lots of scientific evidence to back that up, too. And also less harmful for the bear long term. Yeah. And And also, if you're not, like, a routine shotgun shot it's a lot more likely you're going to be able to deploy bear spray in well, that situation. Well, and most people who carry guns for bears carry handguns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless you are actively trained to draw them quickly in stressful situations, aim and fire accurately in quick succession, mm-hmm. you're not going to do any lasting damage. Like, any, any meaningful damage that will save your life, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're lucky, insanely lucky. No, I fully, I fully went through a training that whose entire purpose was to teach me how to shoot a shotgun at a bear in order <laughs> to get it to not attack me. And I passed this training, and in no universe would I tell you that I am capable of shooting a bear in the face when it's charging me, despite the fact that the Alaskan government has a piece of paper that says I can do that. Which is why, on the job that trained me for this, no one gave me a gun. They gave me bear spray. And it also works against people. It, that it does. I carry bear spray walking around town sometimes. Yeah. I've <laughs> come closer to bear spraying a person than I've come cl- to bear spraying a bear. I'll say that. <laughs> and that's on being a female presenting person in 2023. And in field work. <laughs> And in field work. Hashtag women in STEM. (laughs) It's International (laughs) Women in Science Day. Happy bear spray a man in the face, ladies. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Was that not how we're supposed to celebrate? I don't know if that's the traditional method. Oh, then I owe a man an apology. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Anyway, all this is relevant because habitat destruction, climate change, and all sorts of other human-caused nonsense means that bears are moving closer and closer to human areas. Conflict with bears is inevitable, but there are ways to mitigate the consequences of these interactions. They have just as much a right to be here as we do. Or maybe more. So we have to find ways to coexist. Thanks, Liv, for educating us all about bears, in spite of the copious amount of alcohol that we consumed here tonight. Anytime. And I do mean any time. That's all for this episode of BioBabes. This next time when we'll be discussing caribou and what are they looking at? Why can they see ultraviolet light? What do they see that we can't? Is it the lichen or is it something else? Bye! Bye.
Okay, so I hope these jokes aren't too polarizing. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) What do you call a bear with no ears? Buh. Yes, that is correct, actually. (laughs) That's the joke. (laughs) How did the panda lose all that weight? How? Bariatric surgery. (laughs) Why did the bear dissolve in water? Because it was polar. What do you get when you put a bear on the moon? A dead bear. What the hell is wrong with you? Why would you even think that? Oh my god. Okay, so in my search for these terrible bear jokes, I found a web page that is solely to help parents with ideas to help, like, name their kids teddy bears. So I was wondering if you'd like to this bear website and make fun of it for a minute. Oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> what else are we here for? It's called We Have Kids, and it's called oh. Cute and Funny Teddy Bear Names. The, okay, so first of all, the teddy bear names are, are divided into cute teddy bear names, good teddy bear names, or funny teddy bear names. Well, well we gotta look at the funny ones. Yeah. Yeah. Cute teddy bear names, stuff like Mr. Bear, Not Creative, <laughs> 0 out of 10, fuck you. Um, Snug-a-Bear, Bubsy, So Big, spelled as one word, Oh, Honey, Fuzzy Wuzzy, yeah. Good teddy bear names, these are teddy bear names that are good, are stuff like Grizzly, Camper, Fisher, Theodore, which I guess kind of harkens back to the history of the teddy bear, but also Horace, (laughs) which is... (laughs) Horace is a name for a grandfather. I'm sorry, is the teddy bear also my tax accountant? Yeah. (laughs) Funny teddy bear names include Mr. Hugglesworth, which is hilarious. Ding dong. Ding dong. Yolanda? (laughs) I'm glad you scoped Yolanda because it caught my eye as well. I'm sorry. I did just find the comments on this website. Oh, incredible. Oh, a treasure trove, I'm sure. Which I didn't think should exist, but there are comments on this website. There's like a lot of comments. A lot of them, and... They're getting um, really good engagement. Yeah, 2020, this person said, I need a good name for my six-foot teddy. Oh, that's not for children. John says, I got a monkey that looks evil, but I don't know what to call it. I think that John went to the wrong fucking website. If he wanted to know what to call his evil stuffed monkey, he should have gone to the evil stuffed monkey naming website. Not... You're so right. Not teddybearnames.com. Yeah. Username Tehe on July 29th, 2019 says, Why y'all be naming teddy bears like the fuck? Not <laughs> that I felt the need to comment. <laughs> Felt like it was necessary to get a get an opposing viewpoint uh-huh. out there. Yeah, he was like, these losers. Kiwi lover has got to be at least 13 years old. They can't decide between Ted and Bozo, and the clear choice there is Ted Bundy, the bear. That is a good, 
That is a good name for a teddy bear. Is Ted Bundy the bear? She had that so locked in her head. Just waiting for both of us to finish so that she could make a Ted Bundy joke. Waiting patiently to call this bear Ted Bundy. You've been waiting for that joke since last week, huh? That was that was my bit the whole time. That was my secret. That's all I wanted.